Well, we just came um, from uh, a very special time called, it's a, a God's seasonal calendar, something called the Feast of Purim. Has anybody heard that before? I've taught on that over the years, the Feast of Purim. We believe that God, it's not that God doesn't have anything to say about our, our man-made calendars. He, he does. Uh, January 1st is our first of the year. But with God, there's a different calendar that he's kept all these years. And it's the Hebrew calendar, would be referred to as the Hebrew calendar um, or, or Yahweh's calendar. And uh, one of those uh, feasts uh, on his calendar is called Purim. And we just went through it at the very end of February. And Purim sets the stage for Holy Week. Holy Week, you saw the commercial there for I Am Jesus. We're excited. It's going to be in-person service. Last year, we had to do it all online. So we want to welcome everybody to come on back, bring friends and family. As a matter of fact, we're going to have um, uh, those join us online as well. be a little different experience for you, but man, we're going to have a great time. But it's more than just doing a production and winning souls. It's really something special on God's calendar. And it marks the Good Friday service and, of course, um, Easter, as we would have it in our in our uh, way uh, as far as man's, man's calendar, but it's a it's a it's a time that God has set forth, and so Purim kicks that off. Purim begins the time where God judges our enemies. It's like the it's like the Sunday afternoon football game, and you, and it doesn't start until the kickoff happens. Purim is the kickoff. To Holy Week. And I wanted to share just a couple things about this. I'm setting up the message this morning. And that is the story of Esther. Many, many of you probably have heard that story preached and or read it for yourself. There's great literature out there about it. Um, but it's also a book in the Bible. And uh, it tells the story of this beautiful, beautiful young woman. Um, maybe didn't have a lot of other gifts. Um, she definitely had some negotiating skills, but she was very pretty. And so that obviously opened the doors for her in a kingdom that she was not born in. Matter of fact, her people were born into bondage, uh, the Jewish people. And um, Mordecai was her cousin. And so the Bible talks about her and him, Mordecai, the most during that time of Babylon. And so they were in this place of, of bondage. And, and, um, um, and obviously God's people wanted to be set free. And I think more than anyone, God wanted his people to be set free. You know, I think God wants us freer than we want ourselves. I really believe that. It's not like he's holding back something from his people. And so, um, obviously, it was a difficult time. But because of the beauty of Esther, she was noticed by the king. And the king wanted to make him make her one of his wives. And so, she got into the inner sanctum of the king. And now, she has an audience with the king. And she has his ear. And he begins to give her his trust. And now, she's having a conversation with her cousin Mordecai. And the, obviously, Mordecai is wanting her to give messages to the king about how cruel the people of God, the Jewish people have been treated and, and how they need to be set free. And she was holding all these things in her heart, trying to figure out an opportunity when to get to the king. And there's another character in the story beyond the king and Mordecai and Esther in it by the name of Haman. And Haman was the right-hand man. Uh, he did everything dirty in the book to become that right-hand person to the king. Zaxir's was his name. And so they said, he said, um, he, he made up a vow in his own heart and told it to his wife and said, I'm going to be next in line. I'm going to be the most powerful man in the kingdom outside of the king himself. And so he began to talk to the king about certain things that he was to do. Like, for instance, if, 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 if a certain people do not follow our traditions, they would be imprisoned or they would, in fact, be, be killed. And this pleased the king to hear this, knowing that the Jewish people were never going to follow those traditions. 
because their traditions were of Yahweh. And so they begin to, he began to plot against them and he hated Mordecai more than all the rest because Haman had all this power and all this authority, but Mordecai wouldn't give him the time of day. And when everybody else kneeled and bowed, Mordecai would not bow his knee to Haman. Mordecai, we need people like that in this day and age that are not going to bow down or succumb to pressures. Come on, y'all. We need people like that that won't kowtow, but will actually be what God called them to be. And so you might take my head, but uh, I'm not going to bend my will to you. And so he did not. This, this angered him. That was partly the reason why Haman came up with this idea to set a law on the land. And it pleased the king to hear this. And, the, and he said, what shall we do? He said, well, let us, Haman said, Haman said let's, make a, let's make these gallows and make them real high so everybody in the kingdom can always see them. And anybody who comes up against you or the kingdom doesn't follow our traditions, uh, they will be hanged upon those gallows. He said, go for it. So with the fresh lumber and the fresh ropes, they made this tremendously huge gallow, uh, which to, he was hoping to hang Mordecai on. Well, as the story goes, I'm not spending a lot of time here, but just setting this up so you understand what's happening here. God wants to judge our enemies. And it may come from a place you don't understand. And you may feel like Mordecai behind these walls and in and, and bondage, and there's no hope. But God's always got one person away, one person away from the person who can unlock the door or can bless you or help you or whatever you might need. And that was Esther in his case. And at the time, she hadn't said much. And so now then, we have Haman, and um, Haman makes the gallows and all of that, and, and so sure enough, you know, um, he's, he's proud of himself. Well, one day, the king couldn't sleep, and so he got up and said, let me look over my records of my kingdom. So he has the people pull the records, and as he begins to go through the records, what he didn't know was that this Mordecai had the king's back. And the king was the one suppressing him. But when Mordecai had heard of a plot, a conspiracy to kill the king, he went and told the proper authorities that this was going down. They thanked him. They didn't free him, but they thanked him. And they put it down in the record books and they were able to stop that plot from happening. And the king didn't even know that it even happened. Didn't know the plot was against him. Didn't even know that Mordecai, this man, had actually saved his life by hearing about it. And so he's looking over his records. And as he looks over his records, he sees this whole thing play out. He goes, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. So he calls for all the people, all the people that he had authority, including Haman. And he says, Haman, what shall we do for the man who has spared my life? Now he's thinking... Haman's thinking he's speaking of himself, of Haman. So he's going, oh, well, I'm glad you asked. He's thinking it's about him. He goes, you should take his ro your robe and put it upon your, his shoulders, and you should take the signet ring and put it upon his finger, and then you should parade him throughout all the city and say, this man is the man. This is the one. He's the, my, my right hand in all of the kingdom, and all your authority will go to him. This was his plan. This was his plot. He's thinking, oh, my gosh, it's falling right into my hands, but he did not know that he wasn't speaking of Haman. He was actually speaking of Mordecai. He said, good, that's a great idea. Send me Mordecai because Mordecai, according to these records, has spared my life. Well, this Mordecai or mortified Mordecai, as you can imagine, it, it, his plan backfired. I got news for the devil this morning. 
the plans of the enemy are going to begin to backfire. That's not preacher rhetoric. That's the word of the Lord. Somebody ought to give God a shout. I believe that. What the devil's meant for evil, God means for good. And this is a turnaround season. Get ready. Stand to your feet right now. Everybody stand and just go like this. Come on. Come on. Do it two times. Do it three times. Come on. Come on. And say, this is my turnaround. You may be seated. Send me Mordecai. So now Haman, the guy who's plotting against him, has got to put the robe that he wanted on the shoulders of Mordecai. Had to put the ring on his finger. Had to put him on his uh, his colt or his donkey and ride him throughout the king's donkey, throughout all the city, and proclaim this is the one. Out of his own mouth, he had to say he's the one. He's the man. Could it be in this turnaround season for you and me that even our enemies are going to come up out of their mouth? They're the man. She's the woman. I tried everything I could. I couldn't stop them. But God has a different plan. And so now he's, he's, been, he's been fully vetted, this man, Mordecai. Esther then tells about some things about Haman. And you know the story when the king heard about it, he was so angry with Haman that he said, Haman, come here. He's thinking it's going to be a party. He tells his wife all about it. It's going to be a big banquet at the, this so-called banquet. It's when he says, then the king says to Haman, says, this day you shall lose your life for what you've done and the very gallows that you have built to kill Mordecai and those like him, you shall hang on them by this time tomorrow. That is what I believe God's going to do. Purim is a setup. Purim is a setup for, from, for God for Holy Week, but it's also set up to judge your enemies. The time my message this morning is an appointment with God. Hey, Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you praise and glory, Lord God. You're in this place this morning. You're in this place and you're in the places of those watching us this morning. And there is no doubt about it. And where you are, Lord God, there is peace and liberty and there is joy. But let it be known there's also conviction. And there's the ability, Lord God, that you have to make hearts want to change. And so we thank you, Holy Ghost, that you're moving in throughout these aisles and those that are watching the devices and screens at home, Lord God. We give you praise and glory and honor, Lord God. Let the word of the Lord come forth like never before. Let revelation knowledge begin to mount up like never before, I pray, Lord God, until we are set free and we hear the word of the Lord for this season. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. An appointment with God. So Passover is coming. Let me let me ask. Let me ask you this. Are you getting prepared for your enemies to fall? Seriously, I'm asking the question. Are you really getting prepared or are you always trying to navigate from the idea that your enemies are going to get you some way somehow? You might come out a little bit ahead, but not always. Or are you prepared? Are you really prepared to see God do something in such a way that you're completely set free and the enemies that have been charged against you are getting ready to fall? Amen. Well, this is the season we can give expectation toward that. Passover begins at March 27th, and it ends April 4th. March 27th, 8th, April 4th. And it's an eight-day observance, which it, it has a lot, a lot of things going on during it, but the main, uh, the main um, headline is this. It has to do with observance, 
observance of God and his ways has to do with prayer. If you've noticed, uh, I bet you anything the last couple weeks, your prayer has been a little bit tough for you. Haven't been able to quite give that time that you want to give or, or you, didn't have the, you didn't have the zeal or passion. Usually that happens around this time because the enemy begins to attack. Even with the message this morning that I knew I was going to preach and how it's going to have such an impact with the, in the season, um, you know, the internet goes down. Right? I mean, literally five minutes before service starts, I said, that devil is a lie. See, that's how it works. And so it's always trying to come against what um, the purposes of God and plans of God are for our life. So observance, prayer, preparation, getting prepared, and also offering. Very important, offering. Now, I'll explain this in, in detail in just a little bit, but there's a pattern that theologians have found in the Word of God, and it's called the law of first mention. So that law of first mention is where you begin to study, and then the Bible also says, out of the, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So you get the law of first mention, that's your foundation. And then, when you start to throw out the word of God, you need to see that at least two more times for it to be established. And for now, when we look at God's seasonal calendar, we see it multiple times from Genesis to Revelation. We see it all throughout the scriptures over and over again. So it's replete. It's not something that's just uh, one little thing we plucked out and we start preaching on that. R really, you need to know that. So we have two or three witnesses. Therefore, every word can be established. And the law first mentioned begins with Passover at Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, by the way, that's this month coming right here. We're in it right now, next three weeks. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now the other heathen may not celebrate it that way, but God's saying, this is what I'm saying to my people. This is the first month for you. And he says, he says, uh, speak now to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him, his house, rather take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish. It has to be perfect. Reminds me of another lamb in the word of God. Maybe the lamb of Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? Perfect. A male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh, and just, just let me have this time, and I'm setting this up. They will eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs that, that they shall eat. By the way, that's the Passover supper, which is where we, where we get, uh, uh, it's still being celebrated to, to this day, uh, called the, the Seder dinner. And that's, that's still being done. There's great sim, symbol, symbology in that, and great powerful revelation in that. But for, for sake of time. Do not eat it, nor boil it at all with water, but roast it in fire. Its head and its legs and its entrails, you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Thus, you shall eat it with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. In other words, you're getting prepared to move, getting prepared to go somewhere, getting prepared to go to the next level. So you shall eat it in haste. Okay, and the, and the Lord's, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will, by the way, Passover here is the first time mentioned. 
They didn't know what this was. He's explained it to them. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Egypt is uh, symbolic of the world. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. How long is everlasting? That's forever. That's forever. So we have the children of Israel here real quick, a little history back up here. Um, children of Israel, they've been in bondage for over 400 years. Now they begin to cry out to God. They're, they're asking God for some sort of breakthrough. And maybe not so much even to God, but maybe for some, but the Bible just says that they cried out and God had pity upon his people as they cried out to him. And um, they've been taken captive for all those years. They only knew how to be under rulership uh, of, of, of these very uh, uh, tyrant-type leaders, which were the pharaohs of the day. And that's all they knew. So their mentality was slavery. And they, as they cried out, God says, I'm going to deliver my people. But notice God doesn't knock on the door of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But what he does is he raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. See, God always looks for a man or a woman to stand in the gap. He's looking for somebody that he can use that will lay their life down to be used by God in the privilege of that moment to be, be used of God and, and say, that's good enough for me uh, as long as I'm able to carry out the will of God on planet Earth. And so he was a prophet. And Moses, again, is a great study by itself because he wasn't always known as a prophet and, and so on. And he certainly wasn't known as a slave. He didn't identify completely with them. And that's, a, that's a, I want to preach that right there. Sometimes we think we got to be like the world to win the world. I got that right now from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so he didn't understand how their ways that well, but he had a love for them because God told him that this is who he was, and so he loved God. Therefore, um, he became the deliverer and a mouthpiece for God, and he knocked on the door. He had the guts and the courage and the faith to go and say, let my people go, Pharaoh. And there was this incredible warfare that was going on between Pharaoh and, 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 and Moses. He, they knew Moses. He grew up in their home. And so they didn't like him that much because he was a betrayer. And so he's saying, God told me this, that, and the other. And, and, um, and they're going, who is this God? Who sent you? I am sent me. What does that mean? And so, so there's this, this incredible um, fight that's going on internally. He said, let my people go. So finally, God said, uh, God said what I'm going to do if he doesn't, he doesn't let him go, I'm going to send a plague. I'm, and every time he changes his mind and doesn't do what I ask him to do, you let him know a plague is coming. And so as a result of that, 10 plagues came. This is how stubborn and how wicked this man's heart became. He would say yes, and then he'd backtrack and say no. Yes, and then no. Yes, and then no. Man, that's like a yo-yo. For some of us, you've been on that yo-yo for too long already. It can wear you down. And it was wearing the people. The people are going, look, you're making it hard for us. We were with you when we thought, yeah, tomorrow we're going to get the answer. But now that it's been a long time, and we're under all these different rules now, and we got to, he made Pharaoh made it so much harder for us to work because of you. He hates you. Quit helping us. But he had a word from God. And God, I want to tell you this because God 
set things up in a way, when God aligns something, like he said, it's forever. And there are two new cycles that God says are forever in each year. So God actually gives two new years in every single year. We get one. We get January 1. That's our new year. We get our resolutions, and that's kind of what we do. But God has two of them, and none of them have to do with January. And one is called Passover, which we're entering into right now. And the other one is called Atonement, which we enter into in the fall of the year. And by the way, aren't you glad that we're starting to see some birds chirping, a little bit of sunlight lasting past 6 o'clock? Hallelujah, Jesus! It's getting warmer outside, praise the Lord. And I just heard the Lord say, don't, don't, don't count your chickens before the hash. <laughs> we might have a couple more winter days, but, but we're getting close. Somebody say amen. So this is where God offers to us twice a year. Think of the mercy of God here. Think of how good God is here. Now you could say, well, now that we have the blood of Jesus every single day, and I would say absolutely yes. But do you know that we don't get, if you maybe haven't noticed it, we don't get answered prayers every single day, even though we pray every day. But God uses certain times and seasons by which he begins, says, this is my time that I will move for my people, all those who will come to me. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But he offers new beginnings. He offers new grace, new favor, new mercy, right? And this is what God promises. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, it says, these are my feasts. They're not your feasts. They're my feast, the Lord says. And someone says, well, that was before Jesus, so it really doesn't apply to us today. But just look at who kept the Passover. Who kept the Passover? Well, the Bible says Jesus himself kept the Passover. You say, well, he's, he, uh, he was the Lamb of God. Yes, for you, but he as a Jew kept the Passover. The Bible talks about all the disciples even after Jesus kept the, uh, kept the Passover. Paul the Apostle who was not an apostle until Jesus had, had died and was risen from the dead. Matter of fact, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He never stopped. He said, I'm a Jew. I keep the Passover. One time a prophet said, if you go to Jerusalem to keep the Passover, you will be killed. He said, thus I will be killed then. But I'm going to keep the Passover. And Christians kept the Passover, you ready for this? For 300 years after Jesus had ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. So this was something that was a common occurrence and a tradition until Constantine came in. And read your history books. Constantine was one who wanted all the world religions to become one. So he created Easter and got rid of Passover. Under tyranny, under law. So you didn't celebrate Passover. So it stopped it after 300 years, um, after 300 years of Christians just simply doing it. These are not Jewish people. These are the Christian people, Gentiles, that were being saved by a Jewish Messiah. So God was talking uh, to his people through different, different means and methods. And one way that he talked even to Pharaoh was through the 10 plagues. He was taking his people out of Egypt. He did it by way of these 10 plagues, the, the blood, the frogs, the lice, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn male. That was the last one, and that was a big one. God not only wants to free us, church, but he also wants to judge our enemies. The devil is always trying to keep you from fulfilling your destiny. 
from fulfilling, uh, keeping you rather, you're, you, you, you uh, right where he can use you and control you, keep you down so you can keep you a slave to your circumstances. This is what the enemy does. He doesn't want you to fulfill your future, your destiny, who God purposed you to be, and so he'll fight you and fight you and fight you. And I promise you right now, that's why you have felt in the last week or two, and if you haven't, you might, you might in the next couple of weeks, the heat get turned up a little bit. I have. I have. You start feeling get turned up a little bit. It happened this morning with the router going down. The heat gets turned up a little bit. God's checking your attitude. I wanted to get upset. I wanted to get mad. I wanted to start blaming somebody. You know how that goes. Who didn't do this and who didn't do that? And I just was, I was at peace. I said, well, Lord, you knew and everything's going to be okay. I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I think God tests us during these seasons, during these seasons to see what we're really what we're really all about and are we going to keep faith or not and so all right so what were they to do um about this i'm talking about the people of god about this death coming and this destruction that was coming as the last plague what did god say now this might blow you away and for the religious people you might not like this too much but i I promise you it's in the word of god and i learned it and my wife learned it. we've been doing for years he said this if you want to get rid of this bring me an offering. He said, what? Bring me. I want to have a lamb. I want a lamb. Now, did God need the lamb? Look, did he, was he going to eat the lamb? Was he, what was he going to do with the lamb? It, and the lamb was for man. But the lamb was a distinction because especially among slaves, because everything you got, you were so grateful to have. And if you had a herd of sheep with lamb and in them, you would you would know that that that's food. And that, matter of fact, that 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 sheep or that goat can take care of me with the wool or with the milk of the goat or whatever. Can actually take care of me for years, and then I can eat it when it gets older. Right? That's kind of the mentality of people would be for all of us. So all of that cost them something. It wasn't free of charge. Every lamb that was sacrificed actually was something that cost them something. And for them, it was a matter of their livelihood. They couldn't survive without it. And not only did God say, give me a lamb, but he said, I want the perfect ones. Don't give me ones, God. I don't want any blood broken eyeballs, a blood vessel eyeballs that are broke out. I don't want any moles in the skin. I want no cavities in the teeth. I don't want any weird ear on one side and that doesn't match the other. I don't want any funky sheep or lambs. I want something perfect. So they had to be, they had to actually go through every single one of them and find the perfect ones. And then those were the ones that were offered to God. God still requires an offering to this day. Thank God it ain't bulls and sheep and goats and pigeons and hallelujah. Could you imagine me up here today with a knife? Bring your sheep. It's offering time. Ushers, ushers. Could you imagine? But what do we have today? Well, we have monetary things. We live in a, a different culture, a different society. And so the way that we take care of God's kingdom today, or we offer to God today, is by way of our means. We support him with our means. The gospel could, we would, look, we've been here for 22 years. It's going to be 22 years in the, in the month of May. Can you believe that? Hallelujah. I'm excited about that. And, and, and the only reason that we stay here is because God's people hear something from me, are called to the vision that God set in here in Milwaukee, and they, they finance it. If they didn't finance it, we would have been gone the first year. But God's people said yes to it, and so they trusted it, and they offered to God. 
And he still requires that to this day. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, three times a year, all your males shall stand before the Lord your God in the place where, which he chooses. And he says it right here. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. What is that? Well, that is, uh, that is the, 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 it is the Passover. It is the Pentecost, which happens 50 days after uh, Passover. And then it is atonement season. And he has different names for them, but that's what they are. Those are the same season. Look them up, Google them. They're all the same calendar events. And they shall not, watch this, watch what he says here. Here's the caveat. They shall not appear before the Lord. How? Y'all didn't want to say those words? You don't appear before God empty-handed. It's like going to a birthday party and not having a card in your hand or having a gift for someone that you love or care for that's a certain type of an event you're invited to, right? You wouldn't do that. And, and, and we know some of y'all kind of get away with stuff. We, 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 we invite you to a potluck, which Christians, you know, back in the day, we didn't call them potlucks because we were walking by faith. And so we, we said we don't say potluck. We say pot bless, praise God. And just God's blessing will be upon him. No luck involved here because luck comes with the word Lucifer. I'm not sure that's even true, but that's what we were taught. So we didn't say luck in my house. Praise God. <laughs> and, and so, and you had people with beautiful casseroles and beautiful meat dishes and beautiful crock pots and stuff. And you got that one joker with a bag of Doritos. Praise the Lord. And he gets to eat all that beautiful food. And he went to, he went over to the pick and save and got some Doritos. Okay. Okay. That's okay, I guess, but I'm saying that with God, you don't do Doritos. You give him the best. Doesn't he deserve your best? Always, 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 always. You never come before God empty-handed. In the Old Testament, he commanded, he said, today, um, I'll say it this way. In the Old Testament, when God wanted something to done, he didn't issue... um, um, hey, if you were, you know, uh, if you were so, so good as to do this or that, he would, he would issue a command. He said, this is what you do. I'm not going to tolerate anything else. God can be very severe, loving, but severe. Well, in the new Testament, things change by way of the blood of Jesus Christ. So now we have the mercy of God, same God, but he shows forth his mercy because now he sees through the eyes of us being forgiven of our sin, okay? And, and he issues that mercy. So in the Old Testament, he would command you to do something. In the New Testament, he asks you to do something. And then he sees who's willing to do it and who's willing not to do it. And then he bases the blessing on our obedience to do what he asks us to do. He, doesn't, he might command you, but he won't send you to hell because of, you didn't do this or that. Like, no one's going to go to hell if they don't give an offering. No one's going to go to hell if they, if, they, um, uh, if they tell a lie. No one's going to... These are sins, but you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, but my point is, is that you can miss the blessing of God on planet Earth. He says, there are conditions. I'll bless you, but you've got to do it my way can't do it your way. I want to see, are you willing to give from, from all of what you have? Jesus even said that, that, your, your, that your treasure comes from your heart. So where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In other words, another, he's saying, I know who you are based on what you're willing to do and what you're willing not to do. And Moses was told in the, in the beginnings, Old New Testament, we can look at it that way, um, the revelation of him, God says, now, I want these people to have the water. He said, now, go over and slap the rock. Take your staff and slap the rock. So he goes over and slaps the rock, right? And water comes out and, and, and literally quenches the thirst of three million people. Obviously, it was a valley, and it became a lake. And they were able to drink from that, that water for a period of time, right, until they moved to another place. And so, and so, but the second time they were thirsty, God said, now, go over and speak to the rock. 
So the Old Testament slaps the rock. New Testament speaks to the rock. Well, he went over and tried to do the Old Testament and he slaps the rock. And God was offended and upset with him. Even though there was a miracle still for the people, Moses was not able to go into the promised land. This stuff is severe, guys. What he asked you to do is very important, praise God. Didn't mean Moses didn't go to heaven. It's just that his destiny was completely squelched in that moment. Look at the results of the obedience of God's people to bring God an offering. We have it here. It's actually recorded in Psalms 105, verse 37. That says, he also, God, brought them out, where? Of Egypt. With what? Silver and gold. And watch this. There was none feeble among his tribes. So God brought them out healthy and wealthy. Their clothes didn't wear out. The shoes didn't wear out. God fed them every single day supernaturally. Came water every single day supernaturally. None of the enemies could take them out. In other words, God says, because you've been obedient to bring me the offering, I'll never forget the day you gave me an offering and I passed over. In other words, I didn't allow destruction to come to you like it came to the rest of the world. And we're living in a time, and this is not for manipulation. This is just to tell you the truth. We're living in a time where we need the blessing of God in our life. And if we live like the rest of the world, we'll be treated like the rest of the world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But you and I don't have to be treated like the rest of the world. We have a God who's above all those things, who will secure our future. Did you know the word Passover is the word Pesuk in the, in the, in the Hebrew? And it means protection. God said, I want to protect you. I don't want the plague to come upon you. I don't want corona on you. I don't want disease and sickness upon you or cancer on you. I do not want you to be impoverished or if the economy goes down. You're not, your economy is not going down. I'm going to take care of you. This is what God is saying to us and to get our attention. And he's saying, this is the time you observe my ways. This is the time you pray. This is the time you make me first. I'm setting my appointment with you. I have an agenda for you. And I've not forgotten about my promises either. And I want an offering. We need God's protection every day of our lives. Every And matter of fact, my wife, we, she had a word from the Lord. I didn't know she was going to do this. We do, typically don't talk about that stuff. Sometimes we will. But we didn't that day in particular. And so, and, and so she's going to lead the prayer. And so she gets up here and she said on Thursday night, Thursday night was powerful. Um, you need to come if you haven't come yet. Wow, it's amazing. So, so she came and she said, I feel led that God said to pray for the children. I thought, wow, because God spoke to me to pray for the family. So this thing's lining up just perfect. And so she's praying for the kids and it's very strong and powerful. And, um, and so I got up here and I begin to pray. Whatever I started to do, I don't remember. But I begin to prophesy. I don't have it all. I want to I listen to it again. But something that stuck out as we begin to pray for the children, and God said this to me. I heard the Lord say, war children. And I thought, I've never heard that before in my life. And I don't know how to explain it. Or war babies is what he said. And, and, and I, 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 I was telling people, God's calling this generation the war babies. But not in a negative way. In a positive way. Like they've been through a lot. Too, they're too young to have experienced the things they've experienced, this generation. And they've had to grow up too fast. And they got scars and, and emotional problems and traumas and PSD and what's that stuff called? PTSD. They got that stuff. They got, they got, they got emotional hurts and wounds and all this stuff. He said, and I saw these children like they had, were wounded. They had like scars, but they were so excited and so happy. I saw like the hand of the Lord was upon each and every one of them. And God says, I'm raising them up. And when I raise them up, they're not going to be afraid of nothing. No darkness, no devil, no nothing, because they've already been to hell. They've already been through hell and back. They're my war babies. 
I thought, my God, I've never heard that before. So he, what, what God, he wants, I said, the word came forth that said this, do not be afraid of losing your children. Do not fear it. God wants to protect them. Well, this is one of the ways he'll do it. This is how he does it. It was during this time that God brought to Israel the feasts. Okay. Again, quickly, feast means an appointed time, not chow down. Okay. So it was a special time that God set aside with special instructions. Let me say that one more time. A feast was an appointed God that appointed time that God set a special time that he set aside with specific instructions. It's an eight-day observance where we make time for God in our lives as he requires this of us. And I'm going to tell you right now, everything around you is going to want to pull you away from your prayer closet right now. I promise you. And you're just going to say, no, I don't care if I go in mad and angry and not even want, I'm going to do it just because it's the right thing to do. And then about two minutes in, you go, oh, jeez, you're going to be crying like a baby. You're going to be excited because he's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you there. But you might have to fight to get in his presence. It's also time where we get malice out of our hearts. In other words, all the unforgiveness. We got to forgive the people who have wounded and hurt us. It is not easy. It is a process. It may not happen all at once, but I'm going to tell you what I know. If you give God a little bit, he'll give you the rest. It's just by faith. Lord, I, it might just be saying the words, and you, everything in you cringes in you and says, I can't do it, but I'm going to do it because God expects it. Father, I forgive them. You may not even believe it at first, but you're gonna, after a while, you're going to hear yourself say those words, and you're going to start recognizing the revelation that it's not the person you're harming by harboring the, the unforgiveness. I'll never forgive them. They'll never get that from me. That's okay. They may never want it from you anyways. The problem is they're in your head. The way you get them out of your head is by releasing them. And say, Lord, I let it go. I forgive them. You may hold their feet to the fire. That's your business. But, Lord, I release them because I'm harming me, not them. And the more you do that, the more free you're going to be. Also, getting malice on your heart means dealing with issues of bitterness. You know, bitterness about the people at that job, bitterness about the government, bitterness about uh, your certain family members that you have to contend with, bitterness about your ex or your current husband or wife, you know, bitterness about our children. You know, we can love our kids and be very bitter towards them and angry with them. Uh, you've got to release that stuff. Get it. This is the time to get that out of your heart. And again, you may not be able to do it in the natural, but ask the Lord to help you. Ask him, and he will grant you the grace to begin the process, but you've got to have faith and courage to do it. It's also time to remove all selfishness out of our lives. We might have to put down the remote control and go pray a little bit. Put down our devices and not be on our game or our favorite show or our laptops or, or, or even our vacations and say, well, we'll do that another time. Now is the time that we're going to have to dig into God. This is the time he requires, and it comes before him. And it's what he wants. Everything comes, everything, we, American dreams especially, is always about what I want first. Always what I want. Americans have the toughest time because we want what we want. And I'm with you. I get it too. But the problem is, is that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not, American dream is not the kingdom dream, right? And so we have to do it by way of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then the things we need and want will be added to us. See, I'm giving God my offering of praise. My, this morning, you may not feel like worshiping God. And maybe the worshipers didn't feel like worshiping God. It was an offering of praise. It's not my feelings. 
Sometimes I get a goosebump. Sometimes I feel nothing. But it's my offering, and God remembers the offering. It's my offering of thanksgiving. It's my everything I do that's a sacrifice, including my finances, is an offering that God will put his hand on and bless. Amen. God is saying, I want acknowledgement. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Oh, that's good news. If I acknowledge him, especially during this season, he's going to start directing my paths. This feeling of being lost, not knowing what to do. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, you feel so overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. I haven't got a retirement yet. I don't, my health situation, my insurance, uh, my car note, my house, my rent. All that, it starts to overwhelm you and you can't see straight. Acknowledge God. Just say stop and go, no, no, no. I can't fix this right now. But I acknowledge you. And then his peace comes to you. And as you're doing that, what happens? He may begin that day to open a door of a path, making a way for you to get out of that situation. The Passover is a trigger in the spirit. I like to call it that. A trigger for what? For miracles. For miracles. I'm out of time. I just want to share a couple more things. Herod was persecuting the church pretty hardcore in the New Testament. They were all on a run. In threat of being killed or imprisoned at least. And so uh, Herod was t- got the word out. And so the Bible says on that persecution, the church began to explode and expand. And, and more people were wondering that time than any other time. God takes the bad and makes it into good. And the Bible says, watch this. The Bible says, but Herod fell over dead unexpectedly and the worms were eating him up. So the very one who got, was persecuted in church, God said, don't worry. It may look like this for a season but your persecutor is going to die. This thing is going to be over in your life. Uh, That was the time of Passover that that happened, by the way, at Passover. At Passover in the Old Testament, we got many of these uh, instances, but how about Ruth? Y'all remember Ruth? And she had nobody to take care of her. Her husband died, which means she had no support. She starts going to the field to glean the field. In other words, after all the reapers came to get the food, she'd go in to see if there's like a couple kernels of corn she could pick up or whatever. And that would become her meal that night. They wanted to get her off the property. But a man named Boaz, who owned the property, saw her and said, let her alone. Let her collect it. Obviously, she was good looking because, let me talk to her for a little bit. Hallelujah. I feel the Lord beginning to move upon me. I feel him. Yes, Hallelujah. I got a word for her. Hallelujah. And he, he starts having a conversation. He did. And, and next thing you know, he marries her. So Ruth finds Boaz. What time? During the time of Passover. So the very field she was begging in just to survive, within moments of time, she owned that field. Isn't that good? At Passover. It's where God promises uh, to you come to pass. Uh, where you begin to possess houses you didn't build. You begin to uh, eat from vineyards you didn't plant and drink from wells that you did not dig. That was, that's the promise of God. So what are the promises of God during this season? Seven, and then I'm going to quit. Here they are. There's seven promises, and you can study for yourself out of Exodus chapter 23. Number one, angelic assistance. There's more angels during this time of year than at any other time. Exodus 23, 20 says, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Number two, what happens? God promises. He says that God will fight your enemies. He fights your battles. Exodus 23, 22. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. 
Amen. Um, you can quit your fighting. You don't have to fight no more. God fights for you. Um, did I say that there are more angels at this time of the Yes, because there are. That's one of the things that God's revealing to me more and more. We have a lot of supernatural help out here that we're unaware of. We need to start becoming more aware of that, thanking God for his angels moving on our behalf. Amen. Number three, God will take care of your current needs. Okay? Exodus 23, 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you, which leads me to number four. Number four is he removes sickness and affliction from you. Number five um, new beginnings, he promises, and long life. Exodus 23, 26, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. That's new beginnings. God says, whatever looks like it's going to die is not. I'm going to make sure it doesn't. And I will fulfill the number of your days. I'm going to give you long life. So I'm going to say amen to that. Number six, abundance and prosperity. Exodus 23, 30, little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. A land, by the way, that flows with milk and honey. So God says, I'm going to give you abundance and prosperity. And number seven ties into the rest. Your family is blessed because of you. Because the blessings on you, your family gets blessed. Even them heathen kids. It's okay. I was the heathen kid in my family, right? And so thank God my parents were blessed. The day came, Jeff couldn't run anymore. And a revelation came to their son. Church, in closing, we need to prepare our hearts to not only give our Passover offering, and that's going to happen on April, April 4th, but by making God number one in our lives. Because how we treat this time is how we're going to be treated by the Almighty. So if you, if you neglect it, you might get neglect your way. But you say, Lord, I'm going to push in. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to read. However God tells you to, to observe this, this time, these eight days coming up. And we're going to mark them as a church as they come up, and you'll see it. Um, I gave you the dates earlier. It ends on April 4th. But when you do that, when you do that, don't tell me God's not going to come through. It's through the Scripture. you got Exodus. you got, you got Leviticus. you got the New Testament. It's all through Scripture. And what God promises, he will do. And this God does not lie. Somebody say Amen. So I want to just challenge you. April 4th, we are going to have our great Passover offering. Our people do well because we believe the word of God. We believe this. And that's the last part of it. That's the part we can structure the most because it's an offering to church for the church. But um, we're, not, we're going to make sure we ch- I'm challenging you for your prayer as well. Because without it, we, the two have to come together. They must come together. That's where your faith is going to be linked up the most.